Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 236, Games and Education. Presented by Jennifer Gutterman, Mari Brown, and Shoshana Kessa. And then come back to us, and then we can expound on things. Cool Sound with me. cool? Um, I feel like everyone coming to this panel, all every single person has a different want and need for this panel. Yeah. Because it was so wide when I did it in five minutes to make the panel. <laughs> sure. I understand completely. I was like, I'll hop on this panel. Be this right panel. there. Okay. He was just buying something, and his credit card got like stuck. Oh. So he's gonna be here in a second. We might want to start without him, and then that's cool. He'll yeah. hop in because I don't know how long it's gonna take for them to sure. fix we'll the give situation. People, a minute to get here. Totally. I'm gonna pull this back so he can sit when he gets here. These hour-long panels tend to go so fast that yeah. I have literally like no idea. We just did the historical uh, accuracy one, and we just started talking about this issue and workshopping it with the with Julia, and then automatically we we're like, I gotta go <laughs> like right now. All right. So uh, this is the games and education panel. If this is where you are intending to be, this is where we are. Hi, guys. No, it's okay. <laughs> so You can stay. You can stay if you want to listen. It's okay. Um, so uh, my name is Jennifer Gutterman. I am the uh, lead for the uh, digital game design program at Manchester Community College, and I'm also the visiting professor of game design at Hampshire College. And I am a game designer. I just playtested my first board game here, uh, Operation Coalition. And I also do concept art and 3D modeling and that sort of thing. And we have a fourth person who's coming. Uh, originally, the t- two people on our panel had to um, there he is. leave at the last minute. Um, so we were able to get two wonderful people to replace them. So that's how we're going to go through these introductions. Sure. Do you want a second to breathe and I'll introduce no, myself? No, sorry. Okay. It's just okay. uh, credit card problems at the uh, store. So the, the, the feeling is that we're going to give our introductions and then we're going to see if you guys have any specific questions. And then we'll come back to us talking again. You feel good? Yep. All right. I'm all good. You are next yourself. to introduce yourself. Okay. Sorry. Hi, I'm Mike Malecki. I'm a uh, high school teacher at a Catholic school in uh, Morris County, New Jersey. Uh, I've also been a longtime LARP runner uh, from 11th Hour Productions to working with Dystopia Rising in New Jersey. Um, I've also written for Dystopia Rising and for uh, Tempest Omni. Um, but also, too, uh, I have a tendency, I am a social studies teacher who has taught pretty much every single social studies class there is. So I have a good base on the education angle as well as the gaming angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Shoshana Kessak. I am a tabletop and LARP designer. Uh, I have uh, been working for about 12 years for different companies. I am one of the co-owners of Phoenix Outlaw Productions. Uh, and when I'm not doing like uh, freelancing in the industry as a writer, uh, game dev, and a uh, designer, um, I'm, I also got my master's degree at NYU in game design. I write academically about issues within the community. And uh, so I've been published a few times, and I talk about uh, 
things like uh, inclusivity and that sort of thing, but I also talk about like historical representation, uh, religious representation, and I do a lot of research into how to bring that into games. So that's part of where I come from is the academic um, side of things uh, as a student as well as a publisher. Hi, I'm Steve Tasker. Um, I'm an ESL teacher, um, working mainly with kids from uh, China. I'm also a game designer, um, work for Onyx, or, uh, Onyx Path, um, and uh, through several of my own games, and um, board games, We Write Dogs, and now. Yeah. Can you guys hear us back there, or do you need us to use the... Okay. okay, we can use the microphones also to... Uh, I can just talk louder. Uh, yeah, talk louder or my teacher voice. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's uh, Sunday the, morning. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The original um, idea for this panel was to just talk about games and education, uh, where games play a part in education and where education plays a part in games. Um, we all have different uh, perspectives of those things, but uh, we would like to hear from you folks to see what kind of answers you're looking for. Hi. Is that ESL as English as a second language? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'll tell you why I'm here, and then just maybe that'll help me. I, I have a, a science-based card game that I'm interested in uh, that has educational uh, benefits, I, I feel. So I'm looking for information on, on how to, what to do with that game versus other types of games. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to address, let's address each question as they come up. Sure, sure. Good? It's fine with me. Yeah. So um, I would say first thing is you would want to uh, reach out to a professional in that industry to have them look at the science behind it before you reach out to companies to see if you can get it published as a teaching tool. Um, so the difference between games that teach and games that are edu- educational games is that educational games are made to teach specific things that are used in some sort of lesson base at various points of development, whereas games that teach um, might teach something that's less uh, tangible, and they are usually all games teach something at some point at what level that is. So if you're looking specifically for an educational game, you want to be very careful to make sure that the educational part of it is spot on, uh, reaching out to a professional in that field, play testing with those professionals, and then play testing with the target audience to then see if that play testing is, is showing that those things are going to do what it has to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I would say is, um, as an educational professional, when I look for games for my thing, it has to fit three criteria. Uh, One, how cost effective is it? Because uh, if it's expensive for my entire class, I'm in a a lot of trouble. Two, how how long does it take to play and to do? Because I literally have, in my 60 minute class, I literally have about maybe 45 minutes to actually instruct. The rest is recap or uh, analyzing from the beginning of the class day. Now, if I have a lab period, which might be an hour to an hour and a half long, maybe I might be able to play something a little longer, but most schools are a 44-minute class period to 120 minutes. So you've got to have the game be able to wrap up within 30 to 100 minutes uh, to be finished. And then the final thing I'm looking at is, does it fit the state standards of most state standards or common core? Uh, while everybody hates that word, those are the standards that teachers have to abide by, and if I can't fit it into my standards, which I can do a lot of finagling, I got a field trip here on state standards. Uh, so you know, <laughs> he, he couldn't he couldn't argue when there was ten state standards involved. Uh, so you know, you you have to kind of take a look at some of the state standards, and most of the Common Core standards are pretty set. Um, or you know, like if you look at New Jersey state standards and New York state standards, they usually kind of lead the country in 
some of the things, and I, I think there's a couple other states that are really good to look at. Uh, but if you look at those and you fit most of those, you should be good. The top, um, top three, hold on one second, the top three states to look at for public education is New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing from a, from a game design perspective is that, um, you know, when you're talking about the different, like, is it an educational tool or is it a, a game that teaches, um, when you're playtesting those things, uh, there's two separate things, I think, to look at. One is, like, A, does it work properly? Like, that's the basics of things. But what you also want to look at is uh, how to keep engagement up. Like, you're, you, like, games, if you're including them in the classroom as part of a, uh, of, a, of a teaching tool, they still need to be engaging as games. Like, you can't lose that factor by, like, uh, focusing on the science. So, like, when you're playtesting, I think it's important to make sure that you're playtesting not only for the science of it, uh, but also for is it going to remain engaging and targeting the age group that you're looking at for, for this as a teaching tool is important. I've seen it like um, in designing for, for any game, a lot of people try to apply to too many uh, demographics at the same time, but especially for educational games, you want to narrow down to what you're like, uh, who you're trying to teach and what you're trying to teach. Your educational game will be exceptionally different if you're going for kindergartens, obviously, than different than a college classroom. So uh, narrowing that down and then testing with that age group to make sure that they remain engaged is super important. And um, just something I learned recently, uh, uh, even though it's a game that you're supposed to be teaching with, don't talk down to people and don't use that 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 language uh, because it'll disengage. It's just another classroom lesson then you want people to feel as though they're having fun and so using that fun language is super important to keep yeah I think that's a really important point um, if you whenever you talk down to kids they're going to uh, tune out um, and the you know the core benefit of using a game is that you're you know not uh, that you're supposed to be engaging on with them on another level so as a teacher I would want to be using something that is at the very least using a uh, distinctive voice um, so the voice of your game uh, it's really important. Talk to them on, a, on their level. And uh, that also doesn't mean, like, uh, talking to them on their level does not also means that, you know, like, your instructions should be very simple, uh, but they shouldn't talk down or condescend. Um, because the simpler, the, the, the faster the kid can get into the game, the better it is. And you could, like, literally, you know, as if you made it good for uh, middle school, Sometimes high schoolers end up, high school teachers end up using it because the instructions are simple and it's some and it's an excellent tool. So you can actually get more out of uh, where you're going. But you know, like it's one thing if you if you become you know like it's one thing to talk down to a person and make something simple. Uh, making something simple is important because. I don't know about you, Steve, but, you know, what is it, like, usually, like, three or four th things we can say before they tune out, yeah, and absolutely. we can't, you know, like, and they get a little frustrated at my get, level. You get three or four? Yeah. I get, I get, I get, I get one. maybe one or two. Ooh, I yeah. <laughs> there is something I learned, though, this weekend, which I think is really interesting, which is, if you can actually keep the fun, though, there are kids of all ages who can learn the most complicated, unbelievably complex rules. Some of the best magic play magic, I love magic, but goddamn, those rules are complicated. But the, some of the best, most engaged, the most enthusiastic players of Magic are kids, and they're on the pro circuit, right? Because they'll learn every rule. But if you can find that fun and lock into that, that those kids will learn every rule of that that game. But so you have to do one of two things: like make it simple so the education will come out, or make it so much fun that they're going to want that education and they will learn every inch of it. Um, and if you can hit that sweet spot, you're going to have those kids being like, "Yo, I'm going to take this home and play this. Like, I want to play more." Uh, but yeah. Do so. you know what your uh, target group is for your game? Uh, um, it's going to be grade school. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be like Adam 
Oh, cool. Okay. okay. I have a quick follow-up on that yeah. then, too. Um, and then I'm done. Um, uh, related to uh, STEM, I think it mm -hmm. might qualify, you know, that, that to me is mostly just an acronym. And yeah. then also, I'm curious about like homeschool resources and how, what kind of market there might be for, for homeschool. So I advise on the Manchester Public School System for their STEM A program. Sorry, Manchester Public School System in Manchester, Connecticut in their STEM A program. Um, you, any tool that you can develop that will help and increase uh, accessibility to STEM will be something that people will reach for because there's a lot of goals that uh, schools are having now for funding and for uh, at, at every level. So I teach college students but I also teach a summer program for fifth to eighth graders who are uh, uh, excelling in their in their school and they get, a, they get a letter of recommendation and come and do something and I teach 3D modeling to them and they get it in a week and I teach 3D modeling to college students and they take the entire semester to tell me I never got the book <laughs> you know so so your uh, STEM and making connecting the, the, the interest in science and the, and the usability of science or technology or uh, enrichment in that in that regard is something you can definitely move forward with and get a lot of interest in it but I would reach out to the local wherever you're for the we were talking a lot about play testing play test with your target groups look at the state's regulations and what they're looking for for what they want but also reach out to those people and say look I have this idea and I would like to play this with you and see what you think about it. Mm -hmm. um, also at middle uh, elementary school, there's a lot, uh, we all like to have that tactile feel mm -hmm. of objects, but kids learn really well with being able to touch things. So if you're building atoms, consider that as well. Mm -hmm. And um, also too, a good resource for you would be, uh, most states have a uh, specific, uh, subject specific group of teachers that get together like for example in New Jersey for we have the New Jersey CSS the New Jersey Council for Social Studies uh, if you went to those people they almost always have a conference sometime during the year and if you want to see how you know, like what if you want to sell I would highly recommend not selling at a game convention but selling at those locations yeah. because yeah. that's where people are saying I'm looking for that new technique that new thing yeah. to pick up and go with and when they see that they go whoa that's that's new that's innovative I like that and you'll probably get a lot more sales from that uh, one of the things I'd also say is uh, sorry uh, no, no. I you want, want to go on to the next, next one. one if you have something quick you want to yeah say really it. quick two things is that one there is uh, generally organizations if you're talking about homeschooling there are organizations within each state that are for uh, teachers assisting people who are, are homeschooling their kids and also parents getting together and sort of talking to one another about the lesson plans you can kind of get in there and they could actually probably be good play testers for your materials but on top of that also there are after-school programs especially in cities right now for uh, schools that are underprivileged or underfunded that are doing actual uh, especially in New York and New Jersey that are doing game design programs after school and in, in the summers and they're especially hungry for STEM and educational uh, opportunities um, so they will be great places to reach out to New York City does a lot of them in, in, in like inner quote unquote inner city populations we could obviously go on with this for, for the entire time but I would like to take another question from someone yes They're connecting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, my question. Um, so I primarily run and I guess now design works. 
Uh, I was recently designing alert. My kids heard me talking about it, and because they are seven and nine and still very much solipsis, uh, they were very angry that I hadn't designed a game for them. <laughs> that they could play because like, it was a very emotionally heavy game about suicide. Um, so, so now I have to do that. Um, and I'm trying to, I, I want the game to be something that teaches them both like factual stuff about the world okay. and social skills sure. and involves problem solving and difficult decisions. Yes. And trying to make that scalable for different age levels as well as different sizes of groups because like I run the Southern Ontario LARP community. Sometimes you get three people out for LARP. Sometimes you have a house full of 45 people. Sure. Um, so just trying to find ways to scale that in both of those directions, specifically for kids, and still make it fun for them. I wrote so, a game. Uh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, so I wrote a game that did this, actually, called Dangers Untold, uh, which was uh, a translation of uh, a game called Heroin uh, from Ginger Goat Games. Uh, Danger, Dangers Untold was a, a very stripped-down system that was about how to, uh, uh, you were playing the exceptional girl in, like, a labyrinth-style game, and then everybody uh, was playing their friends who was helping out and that sort of thing. With very simple mechanics, easy to scale from, like, 1 to 25 people, uh, like, not 1, like a small group to 25 people people um, and it has very simple mechanics and teaches stories and, and uh, through like lessons through stories so if you want to look that up you can find I it sure talk to me afterwards do. you know it's it's something that has been around for a little while sorry I interrupted you I apologize right, okay. what was the name dangers again? untold dangers untold yeah ginger goat games uh, so uh, I worked with a local middle school down in Delaware where I live uh, to uh, do a game to help teach the, uh, the underground railroad um, and one of the most uh, key things I learned from doing that um, was that because they wanted it to be uh, multiple age groups and actually kind of uh, age groups that didn't necessarily go together, not my choice, um, but one of the things I learned was that the scavenger hunt uh, as a like mechanic with, uh, in and of itself is a great way to teach. Um, and if you send them out to go get something with writing on it, uh, they will read it um, much better than if I tell them to read it. Um, because they will begin looking for clues, and if you can make that sort of escape room-esque LARP feel uh, to a game, uh, kids really, like, grab onto that. There is um, a, a really, like, cool connection between very popular video games and live experiences. So, very popular uh, video game is Minecraft, and I have, I have two kids, and my kids play them all the time, and my son says, I don't like to read, and he is seven. But yet he will read every single thing, every stupid thing that comes up in that game that someone has made. So if you make it in a game where it's a challenge and it moves from throughout the process of the game development, for children of that age, my, my daughter's 11, my son is 7, and they're always like, Mom, why aren't you making games for us? And I'm like, you're not paying me. But <laughs> regardless, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm, I was... <laughs> but um, my point is, is that you can connect with them in the ways that these other popular things are connecting with them. Mm -hmm. And you just have to translate it from things like Minecraft or translate it from things like, what is it, Roblox? Mm -hmm. Is a social... Oh, yeah, so yeah and I, I hate it. But, but yeah. you can take those things from a digital world where, you're, where they do not interact with people face-to-face -face and translate them into a face-to-face -face experience like a LARP or an RPG. As a person who uh, who sorry, no, no, okay. I just made a noise. <laughs> As a person who uh, does Andrew LARPs regularly, um, uh, I've done World War One where I have the kids in a trench for the day. They have to write what they read about the night before in the thing, and then I attack them with fake rats and stuff like that. It's fun. I just uh, remember that my grade ten history teacher did something like that. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but um, and I also I also uh, for the Golden Cobra this year I wrote an Edu LARP called Lowell, which kind of um, uh, goes along the lines of the Lowell Mill strike uh, in the 1830s because I teach I'm very big into the 1830 reform movements in my class, and so I have them kind of doing things but one of the things that I do when I write edu larps is I'm constrained by time so I always make sure that I have the time which as a homeschool you have a little bit more time oh, to well, play with I mean, sort of I, I'm, a, I'm in the homeschool community because the kind of school my kids are at uh, parent parental involvement is required oh. Oh, okay. for at least 10 hours a month with the school wow. oh, okay. uh, and one of the things that I would like to do is bring games into the school but like there's also my 7 year old's autistic and has severe ADHD so they also do school at Sure. Okay. I'd say if you're coming into the school, uh, yeah. you have to be very careful because um, the teachers have time constraints that they have to deal with and things like that. So if you are going to do something like that, you need to make something very quick, easy that teaches a specific point that hopefully they grow out of. Mm-hmm. Like the one point that I'm trying to get with Lowell is to understand why these people went on strike and to understand, but it also states that um, it also has another component to it where you're not the Lowell Mill girls, you're one of these sweatshops in Thailand or someplace else. You have to come up with where you're at. You have to do certain things to make them to think. They have to create slogans. They have to create billboards and posters to to prove themselves. And that's part of the... So I have things for my creative kids. I have things for my political Mm -hmm. kids who are trying to get that political aspect going. And I try to touch as many methods of learning in one thing, but there's still only one goal. And at the end of that hour, they need to have the three reasons why they're striking they have to have a slogan board and they have to have something a song a poster something yeah. for the for the group um, so, so basically like that jack black movie uh rock band yes yeah. uh, school, yeah. of rock. school of rock yeah there's an interesting oh, sorry i keep interrupting mm-hmm. um there's an uh, there's also a, a thing to consider is that you have an, uh, an opportunity with adults also to help shepherd the situation so you know as you have the teachers in the atmosphere and then if the school has uh, an interactive uh, you know with the parents you bring them in and and design the game so that they're assisting you in shepherding these children um because we, we run a game called bright story which is for fun but we we originally it's like saturday morning cartoons uh, gravity falls steven universe self-care love larp it's it's really fun Totally, yeah. We'll talk about it afterwards. But, like, one of the things we didn't realize is that, like, I don't know why we didn't think of this. People were going to bring their kids to this game. We thought we were going to have adults playing this for funsies. And then people were showing up with their eight-year-olds being like, hey, can we do this? And we're like, we're not equipped for eight-year-olds, but you have to stay and play with your children. So, like, the next thing we know, there's, like, a little kid playing a live teddy bear, and his dad's playing the big grumpy teddy bear following him around through the game. And that immediately made it more uh, accessible for the children. So if you write your game and you have these teachers who are involved or parents who are coming into the situation, right? the LARP so that they have a, uh, a facilitator role uh, that they can actually help and then it takes the weight off of you tremendously yeah. Yeah. so that you can have assistance yeah uh, oh sorry go ahead uh, just going off of that um, if you can have the uh, kids learn best by putting the actually everyone learns best by uh, attaching it to characters items and pieces so if you have those uh, characters the like you know the, the big grumpy teddy bear uh, be the lesson or the object lesson of the story um, people will link that in their minds. Experiential learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I totally lost it's the word. Okay. <laughs> there was another question in the back. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Gentlemen. Sir? Uh, yeah, well, I've been loud now. 
First one. No, but when I was trying to ask, I'm sorry I don't know your name, you can't see any of your name tags from here. Oh, uh, I forgot mine. So. So. <laughs> yeah, Shoshana. But uh, I do recognize you. you yes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you, were asked, you were talking about uh, what you were doing with the kids in the trenches. Yes. And I was wondering... Is that high school, you said? That's high school. Um, and you have to be very careful with simulations inside your classroom. Uh, I was just recently, I had to learn about, uh, I'm doing a Holocaust and genocide class this year in my school. And I went to a thing by the Anti-Defamation League. And I'm a big person who loves simulations. And the first thing they said out of their mouths was, for the Holocaust teaching or genocide teaching, you do not do simulations. And the reason being is the fact that it and it's it's not what you may think it is. It's that they think that because they're in that simulation, they understand it fully. After that, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's why you don't do that. Uh, things like World War One and stuff like that. I put on music. I put. I try to make it as inv- as evocative as I possibly can. But the purpose is, they have to write a letter home, detailing the technology, the things they see, the things they hear. It's not about saying that you were in that moment, you were in that situation. And for, for example, things like slavery and the Holocaust, one of the most common things I see teachers doing is uh, uh, stand in this box and this is what it was like. And unfortunately, the negative to that is you're telling the people that's exactly what it was like. Mm-hmm. So you got to be very careful about what you do. So focus on the technique that you're starting, that you're trying to evoke and or uh, the skill that you're trying to teach them, and that's what makes the simulation good. There's also a question of uh, emotional tourism that comes into it. You are trying to teach, but at the same time, uh, you are understand that like a yeah exactly you're not actually going to uh, make that simulation happen properly, um, and then there, you risk it becoming entertainment as opposed where people are like, okay, I've gone and watched a movie about the Holocaust or, or whatever it is, um, but now I'm experiencing it, and this is more like a game than it is educational. So if you don't focus on uh, the, the actual lesson itself that you're trying to teach, it becomes it can cross that line into emotional tourism, and suddenly it's just a role-playing experience as opposed to what are the, what are the things you're trying to teach about that time period, what is the lesson you're taking out of it, uh, and at that point it's just like Minecraft or a video game, like, okay, they're going to play you know, Call of Duty in the middle of World War II, which is, ugh, you know, like, you, this is this is painful and, and horrible. What are you trying to teach? I wrote a game called Service, which was uh, set in about uh, being um, uh, uh, drafted, thank you, into World War II, into World War Three, and it was, uh, we narrowed it down to the focus of, I don't want to talk about what World War Three would be like or the experience of a soldier. What I want to talk about is giving up your life to go into war uh, in service of your country. That was the tiny lesson that I wanted to put across uh, because I could not encompass the notion of all of these other things. So narrowing down LARP experiences especially into these tiny little places can then allow them to take that lesson, go home, and if you especially have a lesson plan built around it, um, to have them then use that experiential that they've had uh, and go in with that thought process of, wow, I just felt that in that game. Now I'm reading the text or writing an essay with that emotion in mind. Um, And it builds that connection that they will then take into the rest of their lives. 
something else to keep in mind if you're going to be looking at not just LARPs and RPGs and you go into tabletop games, you can't just read the description of the game to know if that's what's going to actually be taught. Uh, this came up in the Latinx uh, panel in the same room the other day, and someone brought up Puerto Rico as a game. Mm. And so I'm Puerto Rican, and I hate Puerto Rico. But someone bought it for me as a gift because they're like, oh, you like games and you like Puerto Rico, you know, whatever. So I do use it in my class as an example of what not to do. So uh, the, the user experience in that game is essentially putting little brown meeples into a slave ship. And that's really bad. So um, it's really important for you, if you're going to be using existing games, to talk to people in the game industry who have had experience with those games before you use them. Um, because I would say instead use Spirit Island instead of Puerto Rico. And then I would then talk about that. But a lot of people are like, well, I read the description in Puerto Rico. It's just about what happened in Puerto Rico, right? And I can use it as an educational tool. And I'm like, get out of my house. <laughs> so you have to realize that. Um, I find that RPGs and, and LARPs tend to have better descriptive quality in terms of the people who have played it because they experience it in a different way than tabletop games and games that you play, educational games you play in, in hand. So you have to be very careful with those and that's why it's very important that you, whatever game you intend to use, whether it's your own design or something else, you should play test it in a, uh, a safe situation first before you introduce it to a learning experience because what's learned may not be what you intend to learn. And Sorry, if I, if I may too, like we were discussing different options and stuff like that and you brought up movies. And just to explain to you how weird it gets with education, um, when Schindler's List first came out, Steven Spielberg played it to a full house of high school kids. Yeah. You know what their reaction was? They laughed. Yeah. They didn't understand what was going on. And the thing is, when people are very detached from what we see, they may not get what you're looking for. So it's very, very important that you speak to the, when you when you look for the educational thing with like Puerto Rico and these things, just because it says something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have the effect on the children that you want it to have. Yeah. So. And then, so to that end, do you do some kind of a follow-up afterward, a Q&A, a explanation so that you know what they learned from Always. Uh, it's what it was what in education we call assessment and we need to assess what the kids learned out of that lesson uh, one of the things that I use in class uh, movie wise is uh, is um, man in the high castle for uh, US history too and it kind of shows an alternate version of history and the thing that was asked was actually asked to me the director actually when I said I was going to use it in my classroom he actually said this is what I want you to know which person would you be in this situation? And it was funny because he thought that they were going to go for the heroes and all the kids picked the guy who was literally head down, blinders down until something happened yeah. to him. Almost every single kid in the class wrote for that. So like it was a worthwhile assessment because it actually had them thinking, what would they do in this situation? But it also did not say, this is exactly what I would do in this situation. Yeah. And there's an important, I think, aspect to that is if you're going to be asking students to uh, um, step into this, like, this emotional space and have this experiential space, even if tabletop RPGs, especially in LARPs, there needs to be an outlet for what emotions happen um, because you might actually hit, especially if you're hitting hard topics, you might actually get kids who are responding in hard ways, right, and having some real feelings. Uh, and it will be different for each student. Like, they might have different uh, experiential backgrounds 
backgrounds. Like my, my family, you know, has a Holocaust background for my grandmother and most of my family. For me to do a, a Holocaust game, you, you saw my face. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, like I wouldn't necessarily be able to handle that. And, and uh, you might get a different group. You have to have safety mechanics involved. And the LARP community especially talks a lot about safety mechanics. RPGs do too. Building that into your educational games is just as important as building it into your fun games. Um, and even more so. Now, the big problem I have with educational games like that, though, is that because of lesson plans, you can't opt out sometimes of lesson plans, right? The student has to be involved in some way. Well, what happens if that student needs to opt out because of emotional problems? Can they just, I'm going to go write an essay instead? you got to consider that when you're building these games. If they just say, this is too much for me, I can't do it. One of the yeah, things well. I tell my students, I'll, I'll hold on one second, when they're designing games like that, is that they build in an opt-out into the game itself. So even if it's used in an educational situation, that there is a way for someone to opt out if it has... I have a lot of students working with emotional uh, and mental issues that they are trying to express in their games and psychology and game development. And I'm like, that's great, but what happens if someone is playing it and they have no choice but to play this game? What do you give them in terms of tools to remove themselves from that situation? Sorry, you please go. Yeah, and as, as the teacher, you also have to be really um, on it because the students aren't always going to speak up when they're being emotionally uh, hurt. Uh, one of my students, their history teacher, um, wanted to get really into the Chinese Cultural Revolution, um, thinking that this wouldn't really be a problem. It's coming from a Western background. Um, you know, the student in question, her uh, grandfather, was some not very nice things happened to him during the Cultural Revolution. Uh, she didn't really realize that during class, but she was just emotionally wrecked the next couple of days, um, unable to really complete the assignment um, that that, uh, that he had assigned her. So it's important that the as the teacher, you have to kind of be mindful of uh, what experiences you're going to put on the students, um, because the act of um, you know, uh, giving up the books, um, which was what he was basically doing as a anti, uh, into, you know, to show the anti-intellectual uh, bent of the Cultural Revolution, um, was such a traumatic event for her because of what she had gone through. So I, I think adding in the beginning, well, a lot of RPGs now, especially have at the beginning of books, things like trigger warnings, right? Like, and being very upfront about the content in your lesson plan. I think that's absolutely necessary, right? Like, you can have discussions beforehand with the class, but you need to tell them what the lesson is going to be about. Like, here's what this exercise is. If you need to opt out, maybe you need to opt out, and I can have this other option. But a student needs to know what they're getting into just as much as somebody who's going to have fun. Like, students already have enough of their like sort of. Uh, agency taken away because of the necessity of like learning in this particular case you're asking them to step into a really vulnerable place so making sure it's upfront and there's consent like I'm all about student consent in lessons um, they have to have be able to give consent to step into that emotional space and uh, in my sociology class I teach about a 1970s uh, case uh, where a teacher decided to uh, show his kids what it was like to be in the Third Reich it's called the wave Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's so and, and I, I teach this to my students, uh, and I spend one day doing the wave as a review for their test. They know it's coming up. They know what they're getting themselves into. They've read the book. They've seen the movie. They've done everything that they need to know to know that this is not there and to be able to speak about it afterwards. And I actually leave at least 20 minutes at the end of class to say, what were you feeling while this happened? What did you do while this happened? It always has, you always have to have something at the end to make sure that you touch every single one of those kids and see that not only did they understand the lesson, 
but also too, are they okay mm-hmm. afterwards? And the wave is exactly how not to do this. Yes, yes. the wave is exactly <laughs> how not to do this. Also, for, for those of you who are, who are intending to design educational games, you might want to include in the game itself some sort of feedback for that process, but also for people to give you feedback back to you as the designer or publisher after the game was used to see how it was successful or not successful so that you can iterate it accordingly. LARPs, especially in tabletops, have a notorious problem about being difficult to iterate um, because of the the fact of so many moving parts um, because no no experience is the same twice. You put the material out there and you're going to have 20 players and they're going to, like cats, go in different directions and bring different things to it and then the next time you you could be like, yeah, this is the awesome feedback I got from this and then you have 20 new people and all of a sudden it's like, oh, 20 new cats. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you run it a few times and you're seeing the same exact thing over and over again, that's your iteration right um, with education especially you, uh, you need to look at doing several iterations and saying is the lesson getting through each of those times and if it's not you got to look at where those places are in each of those sessions and try to like narrow in again and one way you can do that is to work with teachers to pr- to have them create assessments for you that you can use because if you can get, trust me, teachers want to use things that's not lecture discussion or sitting there doing the same tried and true methods. We want to find new things. At least good teachers do. If they're boring teachers who've been teaching the same thing for years, they're not going to change no matter what. But the good teachers will look for the stuff that's going to be innovative, that's going to learn. And if you say to them, help me help your students by making assessments so that I can post them to my game site or something like that, Man, you are going to be in. They will buy all of your stuff. Trust me. And I just want to add one last thing also is that, like, especially if you're hitting important topics and you're hitting hard stuff, uh, in some cases you really want to get parent buy-in beforehand. Um, So, like, there was a horrible case that came up where they were they took students to a uh, to a plantation to let them experience uh, like being on a plantation. And one of the people that they pressed into like pretending to be a slave was a young woman of color. Uh, And basically, she went home to her her mother and was like, "Yo." I didn't have an opportunity to not do this and so basically I had to experience like what our ancestors did and the mother called the school and there was a whole thing and it ended up in the news and like this whole thing happened and it's because the parents weren't told in advance the kids didn't have an opt-out all this different stuff so if you're gonna do something like this legitimately like maybe in advance sending a letter home it's not the terrible idea you know what I mean make sure consent comes from all sides including the guardians of these kids and just as a heads up you can't tell with students what their backgrounds are. Yep. I mean, like I just told you that I was Puerto Rican. My mother's Puerto Rican, my dad's Jewish. So, like, there's some stuff going on in my life. Um, But you can tell that looking at me, maybe. Um, But you can't tell that looking at students. And sometimes, I mean, I have lots of students. I have, like, like, seven classes of, like, multiple students, and they're all coming in at different times, and these are three-hour and six-hour classes, and they tend to blur together sometimes. And I can't remember every single person's issue. So we have to make sure that that is taken into account when we're using games that are immersive in any way. Right. Uh, Did someone in the back have a question first? Yes. I work with therapy. Can you speak Uh, up a little bit? I work with a therapy company. Mm -hmm. Um, We work with kids that are on the spectrum. Uh, We do social skills and do therapy. change 
uh, a lot of rules and work around different things, we're looking for information that helps teach the social skills more. Because uh, I'm finding a lot of games that are social games are require social, social games. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of talking involved. So. And I'm, I'm sorry, we actually talked a little bit about this yeah. when, in the other panel. Yeah. So I'm just going to go first, with because I look at it from a teaching teaching yeah. game designer's point of view. Um, if the, this was brought to me as a challenge, I would say that you would look for a combination game. A game that does the aspects of, of immersive role-playing or live-action role-playing, and also has a component that people with without social skills or without the ability to communicate in a group can deal with them also by combining a, a hybrid almost with a tabletop version. That, that's a lot of what we do. We use like Rory Story Cubes. Yeah, uh, as I use those. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll just use mm -hmm. There's a, quite a few uh, uh, role-playing games and story-based games that are coming out now that are card-based. You pull a card and you react. Uh, I know there was Expedition two years ago at, uh, at Gen Con. Um, not to say that you should use that one specifically, but you should look well, into them. The yeah, mm -hmm. the, the mechanics of them. Um, there is one that you could use, and it's really good, except for the whole part where it's horrible about you know mental health in, in, as a general whole, but the mechanics of, Cthu of Cthulhu's story, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a story-based Cthulhu... Cthulhu Tales, I think it's what it's called. Okay. Um, it, they, they tried to be so careful to say that Miskatonic, uh, I'm sorry, not Miskatonic, uh, Arkham Asylum doesn't exist, but then they used Danbury Asylum, which was from, it, which did exist, and then referred to electroshock and medication and all that stuff. So that's a what not to do. I know that because I say don't do that. But you can use these combination systems. Uh, escape rooms also might be yeah. not not an escape room, yeah. but like but that. We, yeah. One of the things I'd say is you know games that uh, promote uh, cooperation in small tasks are really things that so like if they right I, I I'm, I'm I designed a, a game that's basically about making uh, telling stories about like Stone Age peoples um, and basically all you did was take a piece of butcher paper put it on the table put people around it and they're telling the story by uh, drawing with crayons uh, and then narrating the pieces that they're putting together and saying like oh I'm drawing this what are you drawing let's put it together and make a story um, and so if it allows like people who are more introverted to be drawn out because oh you're drawing the sun well now it's related to my thing so uh, giving a tactile experience that then requires people to work together uh, to do something and it will draw the people who are more social out uh, to us and, and it requires them to work together so they have to draw out the others that teaches the social skills while also teaching leadership friendship you know building building team building and at the end they have something to look at that they yeah. said this is the concrete end of it yeah, um, we, you know something like that Mm -hmm. The quiet year. Yeah. We're modding it so that's more appropriate for a younger audience. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, um, that was what I was going to suggest. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'd also put in uh, social deduction card games um, because, uh, like, there's been a couple that I've been using with my gaming group at school who are varying. Uh, I have a couple kids who are on the spectrum. I have normal social kids and everything else. And one of the things I like about these games is you can make up your own rules. 
uh, like we were playing The Mind and we were playing um, uh, a couple of other games like Crossword uh, or Codenames, stuff like that. Yeah, and the cool thing about it is that nobody really, like, especially with, like, the mind, because the mind is basically played multiple different ways. You can play it where normally, because basically what it is is you have a card, and you are got to be playing the card in ascending order, up from 1 to 100. And the thing is, we've come up with so many variant rules to play with that game. Like, we've done it where there's no communication whatsoever so that you can't know. We've done it where you could say everything but the number or anything close. So people are saying, uh, about Mr. Malecki's age, uh, about uh, this. And, like, you know, they can say certain things to do that, and that could actually really help to draw things out, especially if you play alternate variants of rules that you think will help your kids better. There's also a Once Upon a Time. Yeah. There's a card. Oh, yeah, we, yeah we Once Upon a Time. There's, there's uh, I think, also using... Uh, elements from that are familiar to to, to kids uh, on the spectrum is important. So if you can design a game that has them bring in something that's important to them, for example, that uh, will help them uh, be a touchstone when they're anxious is something important. So if they have, uh, there is a great game about like, uh, uh, you know, stuffed animals or like little objects that are anthropomorphized that are important. If you can do that with something that they find comforting, it might help draw them out more. Um, but uh, it's, and it's important to, also recognize though that this may go wrong right and have uh um escape valves built into the game so that if a kid who is uh overstimulated or nonverbal and is not having the interaction they need can step out or somebody can help you have them step out without disrupting the entire experience because very quickly that experience can go from everybody's having a positive experience to one person having one one person having a bad experience which then now triggers everybody having a bad experience so you want to have a valve where you can remove one person without them feeling bad this is a real balancing act right um have, without them feeling bad without them feeling punished without them feeling like they're missing out um, but also not ruining the experience because then they could associate that ruined experience with the lessons you're trying to teach and then you're just going to go backwards so it's a very delicate balancing act uh for for all involved it's it's i don't have experience with it i've seen other people try to do it and that finding that valve is i think really the the real touch the hard part that you're talking about i would also um look at games that that are cooperative games that are simple rules but also games that are not elimination like yeah, games that do not remove that. people or that there is not a betrayer aspect or a game that has one winner um like that team building community building thing that you're looking for and all these games that we've been talking about really do that but sometimes it's easy to be like oh we should play azul because it has really nice people like the way they feel but then that causes other problems with competition for this i think for this particular situation yeah Oh, it's not published yet. I, I did it as part of my game design uh, program. Uh, you can literally take the idea and go have fun with it. Because, uh, like, I did it as part of a, a project with some folks, just for an example. So have fun. The, qui uh, the you, quiet year is very much like that. The quiet year is very much like that. Yeah, so have fun with it. <laughs> uh, happy birthday, robot. Happy birthday, robot, I think is a good one, too. Happy birthday, robot. Uh, I would take a look at that and see if it has any of the lessons that you're looking for. It's about like building a birthday party for a robot. It's really <laughs> like coming up with what happy birthday robot. I think it's Daniel Solis. He did that game. Yeah, I think I, so. I think we have one more time for one last question. If anyone has one last one they would like to ask. I have a hundred. 
Okay, I got one. We can do one. <laughs> we got ten for something. Anyone? Okay. Um, I, uh, I have my own little business here in northern New Jersey. I create and implement after-school enrichment programs. Mm-hmm. And I'm very focused on the curriculum-based elements. This is one of the things that differentiates me. I've been in over 70 schools. Uh, and I've been doing it for a number of years. I'm very much interested in board and tabletop-type games to bring to this environment. And the, li- the limitations you were talking about, about 30, 44 minutes, whatever, very serious. But I'm dealing a lot of times with, even though they may be gifted and talented, at the age, they're not reading yet. So making posters and things like that are out. Okay. So I am familiar with the, the role-playing world, but I've only been on the periphery of it. Now, there are some things that I'd like to do with, with kids that involve some of this. Are there resources or examples for, for writing things that literally will fit inside, oversimplified, the simplest? What's the simplest, shortest version you can give me as a model? Well, what's the age group? Because that's yeah. a, they, as a teacher, Most that's a huge. Elementary, middle school. Elementary, middle school. Okay. That's a hit. I think the story cubes actually is a yeah. really good thing to mm-hmm. use. I use it with yeah. my daughter. It's story cubes. They come in a variety of things. You roll the dice. Yeah, you tell the story. Um, and then my daughter's therapist asked me about it also and said, "What games can we use in therapy?" And story cubes was was the ones we ended up using. And there's a lot of them that are also themed to very popular to popular culture as well. So that can connect with them, and then it allows them to say their own feeling. And there's no reading involved. Um, so someone who doesn't doesn't have the knowledge you guys have about this and wants to write something small enough to do in that time frame, is there, is there a format or something you can direct me to to help me do that? Uh, and what kind, like you're looking for a tabletop game or you're looking for an RPG? or well, LARP. LARP. Uh-huh. I'll stick with that. RPGs, then I'll let you guys. But, I mean, <laughs> like, I've, I've, in essence, written one. I call it a little play. The kids are assigned different things. They act it out. But I don't have the format or the background. And literally, this one that I'm talking about doesn't, doesn't take half that. So you have 15, 20 minutes. So what's funny is um, LARP scripts, like for writing what you're talking about, is basically a LARP. Um, LARP scripts don't really exist. Um, like they do in certain places. Like um, some people have written one. Lizzie Stark and, and some other folks wrote like how to write a freeform LARPs, which are like basically what you're talking about, little experiences. Um, but they're um, they're very few and far between. And basically, people write LARPs as uh, like we just put it on paper and see if it works. Like, yeah. Well, also- There's, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, no. there is one thing that you might want to look at. Is we actually did this recently. It was a uh, a uh, uh, mystery dinner, oh, yeah. and you get uh, you get a character, and you get a series of things that are revealed throughout the throughout the time period, and you can do it with simple instructions or pictures. So you have the LARP experience and the RPG experience, but you have timed it so it happened. They each have a character to play, and they have things that are revealed later. And now I'm going to mm-hmm. not interrupt you. Again. No, that's okay. So no. Uh, the LARP experience—it's um, actually kind of funny because I think for the three LARP directors up here. Uh, it's sometimes a little easier to just give them a prompt and say go, mm-hmm. uh, because if you say, "Hey, look, there's some bodies in the uh, in the ventilation shaft," then people are going to immediately start going absolutely crazy about what's going on, and sometimes even the the, the designers have no idea what's going on. Uh, it's just something somebody rumored or said, that's and it's just to us yes, that's happened to us mm-hmm. before. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, but and the thing is with LARP. 
narrowing the focus can be done, but you have to deal with 20, 30 people. And with younger kids, you've got kids who are going to spread that imagination like there's no tomorrow. I, I, totally, so. I totally get the value of what you're doing by exploring the emotional side of, of issues that were real, that we want them to learn about. I get that. What I'm going to be doing is taking all that negative that's not even part of it. Simple, positive aspect they've got involved in so they don't have that, that emotional stuff just well, there. No, but you. We, we have kids that you're passing something out to the kids, and the kids crying because uh, what do I have? I haven't got you yet. Here you go. Well, no, I, I I understand. It can be that. Now that's extreme, but. No, I understand that. I've worked with, I've worked with second grade up, and and trust me, second graders, it's like she doesn't want to play with me. Well, maybe it's because you were strangling her on the on the slide yesterday, and it doesn't matter because that happened yesterday, and they don't remember. But the the thing about it is that LARP, you know, like if you want them to go in a million different directions and be creative, that's a great idea, because the kids can get something out of that. With the RPG element and trying to focus and narrow the focus, that's when you're going to have uh, better assessment and better going through, but it's going to be a lot harder and a lot more challenging to write up. And I know it's hard to say, well, you know, like, is there a place that we can show you where this is working? Well, I can tell you right now, the gaming industry is still kind of working things out on how to do normal games design, and that's part of what Metatopia is all about. In the educational design s sector, we're looking at less than that. We're looking at a lot less research in that, because while they've done things that games can help education, like iCivics, which is a fantastic resource for social studies and government. Um, there have been some people who've done it really well, but there's also been hundreds of people who've done it really wrong. And so it's hard to come up with that. I mean, also, uh, you're talking about 15 to 20 minutes. I think it's going to greatly vary on the subject you're trying to teach, what, uh, how exactly you're going to want to lay it out. Um, some of the easiest stuff to look at, um, and you can definitely take this too far, but is the gamified workplace experience that uh, it's the idea put forth originally by, I think it was Microsoft were the first people, mm -hmm. to, no, it was EA were the first people to start doing it, um, where they uh, you know, gamified rewards uh, across, the, across the basically workplace environment where you got you know, points for doing things, right? Giving out points, the original, the star sticker on the sticker board, yeah. right, is the simplest form of the gamified educational space. Uh, and there's ways to take that that you can uh, cause uh, children's inherent want to compete against one another to benefit their education. Now, you can also definitely take that way too far. Um, but like that would be a place where I would start, not knowing what subject you're going to go for. I don't, I don't know. Science. It would be more specific. Yeah, uh, it would be more specific based on like if you're doing science. I don't, I don't teach a lot of science. I teach ESL. So, uh, and one of the one of the things that you can do, I mean, at that age, kids are still uh, extremely um, in, in embedded in the notion of like uh, imagination and imaginative play. So you can harness that super easily by saying like on this on the school grounds, they're already playing Batman and Robin, right? They're already like the jungle gym is a mountain. They're doing this already uh, by taking that into the classroom. You're basically giving them an outlet for that during the day and then tying it to that experience that they will they'll remember that. Uh, at home later that day and dream about it rather than they will about the lesson plan that you just tried to teach them. They're going to talk to their mom about being like, I climbed a mountain today rather than like, I learned about stems. stems yeah. stuff. So you can you can take that in the classroom and say, uh, we're going to talk about gravity. Let's pretend we're climbing a mountain 
and together and the kids are going to be way less you know she hit my bear i ate a, you know she ate my cookie um because they all have a focus now in their head of that imagination of we're pretending this is a mountain we're going to learn about how to climb a mountain and uh you're going to get way more out of that matching that memory to that lesson uh and we you don't have to hit on the like oh now you're going to fall because of gravity no make it an adventure that they you know that they will remember for the rest of you know and you don't have to have complicated rules for it like you know very simple the floor is lava is the best example that I could possibly give you. Before we go any further, we are at the end of our time. Um, so if you guys have questions, we can we can chat, but I don't know if there's another thing in this room afterwards. I have no idea. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there is. I, don't I think know. this might be the end of the day. I yes. for us. Can I just add one thing about safety in the room? Because that's super I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, if you look at the history of using games like this, I've studied a little bit of it. Uh, Russia, actually, we found out, has been using games like this since the early part of the 20th century as part of propaganda. Um, and there were millions of people who have technically LARPed in Russia and didn't even realize it, but they didn't have aftercare. It was part of the propaganda of the country, right? But here, uh, you have the opportunity to sort of debug that and, and, and include that into your into your play culture so that you don't have things thrown across the table. Um, but also understand that when you're doing this, no two people are going to get the same emotional experience. So you have to accept that uh, it's going to be right on the uh, right on the money. And that's why the assessments that you're talking about are absolutely integral. And assessment and aftercare are effectively the same thing. You can take the lessons of safety and LARPs that we're doing for fun and make them as part of the assessment package that you're developing as part of an educational experience. And in educational, we have formal and informal assessments. Formal assessments are more like tests and what you're writing down. Informal assessments is just like, hey, are you okay? Is everything good? What did you, you know, like at the end of that one thing, like, hey, you guys climbed a mountain and what prevented you from going up the mountain? And you get every single person in the room to say gravity. And that right there is an informal assessment. Yeah.
And if you do something even more uh, complicated, uh, having peer check-in is really cool sometimes. So like you can have kids break down into groups of two or three and they can talk about it for a couple of minutes so that they can get their feelings out with peers because their responses are going to be very different to a peer than it is to an adult uh, or even to a group of their peers. So if there's like 40 people to talk to, it's going to be different than if they talk to uh, Sally and, and Jim uh, in their little cluster. Uh, and that also fosters, by the way, relationships in classrooms and, and vulnerability and, and relationships. So you're making friends, which is something we do in LARPs for funsies. But for these kids, it can be really important as part of uh, social, social skills development uh, and being vulnerable emotionally which is which is something that we don't often learn how to do when we're in school so uh, it could do a lot of interesting things while still taking care of these kids afterwards um, I'm gonna formally end and you are more than welcome to informally do this but I've got a three-hour drive so I'm gonna oh, yeah. <laughs> go do yeah. that thank you for, for, for coming hosting thank you all thank for you. coming and thank you gentlemen who joined us at the last minute thank you for your participation as well thank you, thank you. Thank you. I gotta go pack and get out of my room yes um, <laughs> <laughs> already. yeah I woke up this morning I'm like Duh, I gotta go and then forgot all my clothes are everywhere oh um, someone dropped money on the floor yep I don't know that, where? that's more on me that's me Okay, I was like, it didn't fall out of my wallet. Unless you have 15 bucks nah, in your wallet. No, no, uh, it's in my wallet, so I'm fine. Thank you. My Thank pockets you. have a tendency to be a little... Shallow pockets shallow suck. Pockets. I hate those. I dropped my Some wallet on the chair in my playtest, and luckily I saw it when I was leaving. I was like, oh, that's cool. That looks just like my wallet. Whoa. <laughs> See, I have the giant phone of doom that fits in no pockets ever. So I just walk around holding this all day. And I, I keep remembering those old like uh, things that they were like... Your phone's gonna give you cancer. Like my hand, forever will just be. If that cancer, cancer hand. Can, can you grab this mic so I can